Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish. And this is the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Let's make getting old the new gold, as oh, you say. I like that. I like that one too. That was mine. I think that was mine. Hi, it's Mel and Trish. Welcome to this week's episode of Don't Give a 50, the podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and just don't give a 50. Don't forget to rate, review, share with a friend and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can follow us on Instagram at don't give a 50 or email us at hello at don't give a 50.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what topic you'd like us to tackle next. And don't be shy because we're not. This is a judgment-free zone and we're always happy to hear from you. Trish and I have spent countless hours chatting about where we're at as 50-ishers, how the myriad of changes occurring in midlife aren't limited to the physical or emotional but include purpose and direction. And what we're going to be when we grow up. <laughs> I haven't figured <laughs> that one out Still working on that. <laughs> and while some women are happily embedded in careers and lives, they're completely content with, many aren't. But where do we start? If you're like us, contemplating change, while exciting, can be overwhelming because we literally don't know where to begin. And today's awesome guest is going to help with that. Trish and I are 50 and excited to welcome Nina Perry to chat with us. Nina is a professional career counsellor and coach whose mission is to support others as they create more satisfying lives for themselves. She has partnered with over 2,000 clients, helping them clarify and determine their direction and make informed decisions around work, career transitions and balancing life roles. Nina has a Bachelor of Psychology Honours and a Bachelor of Business Marketing, as well as a Graduate Certificate in Career Education and Development. She's a professional member of the Career Development Association of Australia and a Strong Interest Certified Practitioner. She enjoys writing and presenting seminars and workshops on career management for audiences of all ages and backgrounds. In short, Nina is a 50 in legend and we are stoked to have her with us today. Hello and welcome, lovely Nina. 
Hello, ladies. I'm so excited to be here. I am just so happy to be here. Gorgeous, Nines. I feel so lucky to also call you a good friend. So we go back. Our husbands actually go way back. They met while doing a TAFE accounting course (laughs) together. (laughs) <laughs> Straight out of high school. Go so time. they are the linchpin to many great friendships, laughs and fun times and a few refreshing beverages and a few stories. <laughs> <laughs> many an Easter I remember together. them well. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't remember all of them well, but they were all good times. No. <laughs> <laughs> Means I'm fortunate to know you well, but we would love, or I would love, if you could. So would I. I want to as well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not all about what you want, oh, Trish. <laughs> Nines, we would love it if you could fill us in on your story. I guess starting with your first uni degree straight out of high school and then how you got to where you are now. Absolutely. So when I was in school, I remember flipping through those career books. Do you remember those in grade 12 that you sort of had to flip through and they had all of the careers in them and you kind of had to just choose from there what you wanted to do? I remember that experience so well. And from that, somehow it just opened on a bachelor of business, marketing, and that is what I went into. Straight after school, I went straight into university and started studying that. I didn't really know why I was there. I think in my first semester at university I failed two subjects straight up because I was just lost so I was like what on on earth is this whole new world but I persevered and I graduated with that I went into marketing in a marketing role and I did that for about 10 years I worked for companies such as A&P Capital, Colonial First Date in marketing shopping centres which is pretty cool. My wonderful husband and I we ended up uh, I fell pregnant with twins and it was at that point where in my career I was like, what am I going to do with myself now? I'm obviously going to have twins. My husband got a really great job offer in Melbourne, so we decided to move to Melbourne for his career. And I stayed at home and I looked after my beautiful kids. I then, during that time when I was home with kids, I loved it, but I always knew that I just wanted to keep on learning. I've just that's been a common theme throughout my whole life, just a love of learning and taking in lots of new information. And during that time when I was at home with the kids, I had a bit of time to think about what were the next steps look like for me? What did I want? What sort of career did I want to get back into? I was sort of leaving a career that I really didn't feel like I suited anyway, but I just wanted to work out what were my next next steps going to look like. So then we moved back to Queensland when the kids started school and I enrolled in a Bachelor of Psychology because Funnily enough, I was actually reading some advice that a career counsellor had written about one way to find a direction is to find out what you like doing and what you like reading in your spare time, what books you naturally gravitate to. And I was always looking at books about human behaviour and you know, motivation and those types of things. So I thought, perfect, so I'll just do a degree in psychology. So I dropped the kids off to prep on their first day and I drove to university and started a new degree. And it was a Bachelor of Psychology and I was going to be a, a clinical psychologist. That was it. Got halfway through that degree and thought, hang on a sec. No, <laughs> that's not quite right either. <clears throat> what am I doing? And then at that same time, I studied a, a, a subject called career psychology and I just felt home. I was like, I didn't even know that this existed. 
And I, it just felt right. It was so interesting to me and it made so much sense. So I persevered with the rest of my degree and then I ended up doing honours in psychology and I did my thesis around the area of career psychology, which I love. And then I was really fortunate to get a job straight out of Griffith, um, out of my degree into the career and employment area. So that's what brings me here and I've been doing that for about uh, five, six years and I also have a private practice as well in career coaching and career counselling and it's so rewarding. I just, I love it. I feel very fortunate to do the work that I do. So that's my little short story. Clever lady. Mm, yeah. Need, so you were in your mid-30s when you started your second de- degree. De- de- degree. Mm. <laughs> and mm, so mm. you dropped the kids at prep and then started. I mean, most of us, when we're dropping the kids at prep, we're going and having coffee and catching our breath. So you drive to uni <laughs> and start a degree. That's amazing. I don't know what I was thinking, Trish. I know. It was crazy, and really. Oh, I think it's amazing. So... Steve was commuting still to Melbourne at this time or had he moved back? He was. So, yeah, so you started a degree, the kids, twins had started school, your husband's commuting and you started a degree. So that's a lot for a mere mortal. How do you think, like, in that time, how did you manage? Do you, and on saying that, leading into that, is do you feel that the second time round at uni with age and wisdom was easier? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't quite know. Looking back and reflecting, I don't quite know how I did it, but I think it was just that motivation to keep on learning that was driving me. It was just like oh, a whole new world again had opened up and I wanted. I was just taking in all of this information about an area that I love. So I sort of thought because I was that was made me really happy and really engaged, I thought that could help me be a better mum as well because I was just engaged in what I was doing and I was getting a lot out of that. So I think a psychology degree was a really good degree to do at that time because it helped me actually get tools and techniques to manage stress and to really work out how to have boundaries around things. And so that was sort of the side benefit of learning the material I was learning as well. And definitely, Trish, going back as a mature age student, and we see this in the in the data, mature age students just pick it. We really do because we know why we're there. We really have had that time of in of thinking about what we really want to do, and we're not necessarily there for the uni bar. I mean, the uni bar's nice. <laughs> Our bedtime's but, much earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I was so much more disciplined. Usually, oh, well, our bedtime's oh, no, earlier. Well, the mature age students are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And Mel, you're exactly the same. Yeah, going back and and studying, you know, midlife almost. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I was in my early forties. When I went back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So my yeah. kids were in primary school as well. But I did study part-time. So I don't know whether mm. you were, you know, full-time. Like, did you do full-time? No. no so, yeah, no. I it's, did three subjects. Yeah, so, yeah. I did that a couple of semesters too and it nearly killed me. And you're right, mature-age students are very driven. They're a joy to teach and I only know that because of the feedback from the, the tutors and the lecturers. You're not, you know, doing a Western roll out of bed and to your 8 o'clock lecture with a hangover and stuff like that. Smelling like, like alcohol. Oh, no, <laughs> stinking. <laughs> you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And, the, and most mature-age students had an enormous love of learning, which is interesting about what you were saying before, Neens, about you loved it because you had a love of learning. So with your psychology degree, was it the love of learning or the end goal that was more appealing at that time? Oh, that's a great question. I think at the start it was the learning and I think that 
having a goal, a loose goal in mind. Like I thought, okay, I know I want to do this in the future, but I wasn't too set on what that looked like at the time, I think. And it was more that, oh, great, you know, I'm starting to get into this new area and I'll sort of work it out as I go along. And it changed. So, I mean, I guess that loose idea was to become a registered psychologist. But if you told me at the start of that degree, you're going to be a pre-coach and a pre-counselor, I was like, oh, I don't think so. So I think the learning and and the journey through there really helped me clarify it. So I think having a loose goal is good. But, yeah, that's what drove me was that picking up new information. Mm. And I think once we've mentioned this before, you get the momentum, it helps the snowball of where you're actually going. And for ladies out there, now I know that I'm not a university degree person at this stage of my life. Well, never say never. But I know my friend Michelle, her mum, she started her psychology degree at 50 mm. and she now has her own private practice and has done for years. So, Go ladies. Girl. I love that. Yeah. I love so, Neen, could you explain a bit more about career psychology and what it involves? Mm. So... Career psychology is all about development and that prospective look into your future, obviously. It's working out where am I now, where am I heading, how do I get there, what are the steps along the way. That, I think, is what everyone sort of guesses it's all about, which it is. But interestingly enough, I think the reason that I'm really drawn to the profession is a career doesn't really sit outside of your life. A career is really basically balancing the roles that you have in life, it's balancing the learning that you want to take in, it sort of sits right in the middle of your life. And you can have a career that's unpaid work, so volunteer work. You can have a career, you know, includes parenting, it includes everything that you do. And that's why I love it because it's actually quite complex, managing all of that. You're managing all different roles in your life, plus looking at where you're heading and how you're growing in the future as well. And I think people think it should be simple. I I hear so many people who sit across from me and go, why haven't I got this worked out? Why don't I know what I want to be when I grow up? And it's because it's actually really complex. You're taking in a lot of information and it's a very individual journey. You can't just necessarily look at someone else's life and career and go, well, that's what I want to do and it's going to look exactly like that. Not at all. Everyone's story is so different and their careers are so different. So essentially what I do help people do is reflect and sit there and gather that self-awareness of, well, who am I? What are my values? What what are my roles? What context am I working in? And then how does that match up to the world of work and what opportunities are out there and how do how could I go about grabbing onto them and, and you know pulling them into my life? That essentially is what we do as career development practitioners, is that tough work of reflection and forward planning, and then guidance along the way. You brought up a really interesting point earlier, and that was that, so for some women and and men as well, their career actually involves voluntary work or Hmm. working at home, like unpaid work. And I think we automatically link career with job and money and income, don't we? And I totally fall into this trap and that is link my self-worth and my value with what I'm doing in a career. So we define ourselves through our careers. And it's an interesting point that you raised about, so for some people, their career is through their voluntary work Mm. or their work at home, which is unpaid. 
and it's balancing the roles Absolutely. of all of that, as you said. That's mm. fascinating to me. Mm. Absolutely. And I think people forget that point that even though you might be doing something in an unpaid capacity, the amount of skill that you're building from that and the enjoyment you can get from it is just as valid Mm. if you are in a paid role working somewhere else. And it's really honouring that and going, okay, that's really important, this work that I'm doing and I'm making a contribution, paid or unpaid, to the world. And I think that's what career development practitioners, we're very passionate about is helping people make that contribution um, and giving, you know, their unique gift, it is, to any, to, to all different environments. It's so true because often, like you were saying, it is a valid role, like if it's unpaid, because so often when you meet someone, the first thing you say is, oh, what do you do? Mm. So what if you are just at home? Yeah, nurture. You know, like what, what um, you know, or you choose to be at home for whatever reason. There's a hundred reasons. You don't have to have children. You might just decide to, to I don't know, be unpaid and do what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think acknowledging that what you're actually doing at home, you are, you might be running a household. You might be nurturing the next generation. Thinking about the skills that that takes. So patience time management, acknowledging people's differences in your children and and nurturing that and making them into great human beings to send off into the world, taking a step back and actually going, you know, I've done a lot in that space and I've I've used a lot of great skills in that area because there's this saying that having work is better than having no work at all. And I think when I think of work, I don't think of just paid work. I think of all different roles, paid and unpaid. Mm. So, Acknowledging that for yourself and going, actually, what I'm doing here is actually a really important job because I'm paying the bills and, you know, running a household. That's really something to be very proud of and to to know that you are contributing to a good society. So true. And Such I think point. as women, sometimes we play that role, role, sometimes as women, we play that role down quite a bit. Needs, when we were chatting on the phone before the podcast, you had mentioned a term self-efficacy. I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> um, could you? you that was Trish, really well done. done. That was well really done. fascinating. Could you? I'm so proud of you, Trish. I'm coming, yeah. I'm coming along now. Yes, you are. Never too old. No. Um, can you explain a bit more about that? And, um, and, you know, I guess the steps, you mentioned some steps to develop and support mm. and nurture that. I was really mm. would love to share that. Yeah. So the, I think the self-efficacy thought comes a lot from the women that I've worked with, which is different to self-confidence. So self-confidence is just feeling good about yourself and that's a whole sort of different area. Self-efficacy is more about, I can do this. So it's that belief in yourself that you can accomplish something, that you have all the tools that you need to get something done. And that's where I think as women, our self-efficacy can be beaten down and we lose that belief that we can actually do it. We can actually do that. And then we come up against. We can do that quite well in our own heads as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So thinking, oh, look, I I won't give it a go. I just don't have that belief in myself just yet that I can make it happen. I do a lot of work with clients around that. And because I've got obviously this training, um, this scientific background when it comes to psychology, I, I love to look into the evidence for it. So what can we do? What are the sort of science-backed steps 
that we can do to build that self-efficacy rather than just someone saying, you know, oh, believe in yourself, go on. Yeah. You know, like that. I don't find that helpful at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so, just being a supportive friend, isn't it? But it's not actually helping yeah. someone take the steps. Yeah, because you sort of take that away and go, okay, how do I do that? Yeah. I just, I'd love yeah, to do so, that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to do it. I believe in myself. What does that mean? I've just got no idea how to do it. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying it, but I'm not feeling it. <laughs> exactly. So I found this amazing body of work in the literature, which was all about building self-efficacy in women and women's careers. And that just grabbed me. And I looked at the studies that they've done and there was four steps and they really resonated with me looking back on my own career and thinking, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. One of them is the first step is actually acknowledging all of the good things that you've done and all of the things that you have accomplished. And I think as we talked about before, it's not just in paid work. It can be at work at home. It can be in volunteer work, whatever it might be. But we have a skills blindness and we have a strength blindness. We don't necessarily identify what we do well. We think everyone else does it well. And we don't acknowledge our skills. So actually taking the moment to sit going, what, what did go well and why did it go well? How did I make that happen is really important. And keeping a record of it. The next one is what they call vicarious learning, which is actually looking at other women. So I'm just going to refer to women and their careers you know, in this space looking at other women and learning from their careers. And that's why I'm such a big fan of the work that you both do because we need women of all ages getting out there and having a go and you would be amazed with how many women would look at you both and go, wow, like if they can do it, like that's amazing. Oh, thanks, Nancy. I've just got goosebumps. I have not even (laughs) thought about it that way, really. I'm stoked. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's why when I saw that you guys were doing this, I thought, that's fabulous. We need women out there giving it a go and just being a model for other women to look at and think, okay. So I'm sure you could both think of women in your own lives who you have looked at and gone, wow, I'm learning from them and what they're doing in their career and how I could model that. That is a similar theme that comes across a few times in different kind of for the want of a better word, you know, when you're looking at motivational books and self-help and, you know, the gurus out there, like the modelling people who you aspire to be like or who may have the life that you like is what are they doing? Follow their path. It's not rocket science. Somebody's done it. (laughs) Follow their recipe. (laughs) Mm. Yes. But they may have a different skill set, though. What if they're a brain surgeon? <laughs> well, I'm clearly I'm not. <laughs> clearly I'm not going to follow that path. No. Me neither. Yes. But anyway. Okay, back to you, Nines. And I, <laughs> and I think that because women's careers can be so disjointed and so, you know, that's just the nature of women's career development. It, it's not a straight trajectory like a lot of men's careers because we take time out and we're back in and we're learning and we're – you know, all of that sort of thing, it can be hard for us to find those role models, but we need to seek them out and we need to go, okay, that is someone who I really admire and I'm going to learn from them. And if they can do it, I can do it. The third one is that sort of verbal persuasion. So we did talk about this before, that having that cheer squad to go, you can do it, like that is important. Yeah. But it's not everything. But having those that group of supporters, that cheer squad who can go, you've got this, I'm right behind you. I can see the strengths you've got. I can see the skills you're building. 
brilliant. And if we don't have a lot of that in our life, we can actually use positive quotes. We can use those sort of having those reminders around the house of those positive statements. That actually does feed into building self-efficacy. The woo woo. So I thought that was super cool. The woo woo. The affirmations. Yeah, meditation, the mindset. I love it, the verbal persuasion. I'm good at verbally persuading other people. I'm good at telling people how awesome they are. I am not very good at telling myself that. I'll do it for you, Dan. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for. That's what the girlfriends are for, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) What goes around comes around. The last step is what they call... Managing emotional arousal. So I know that's <laughs> I'm not very good at managing any sort of emotional thing. <laughs> a peak word there. Okay. Managing so emotional is, arousal. Okay. That is when you start something new or you're having a go at something and you get that feeling inside yourself of, oh, my gosh, I'm really nervous. You know, maybe I do suck at this because I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling like I can do it. You're talking about Melinda and I every time we sit in the studio <laughs> and every time we leave. We go, no, actually, we're on a high after we leave, but we're then about on, two hours later we call like, each other and go, oh, my God, oh, was that, that shit? was terrible. Was that terrible? That was shit. That was terrible. <laughs> and, Nate, you saw us trying to set, our, set ourselves up. We had problems with the, the sound. We got there. We got there. We got there in the end, but, yeah, no, that's absolutely we totally know what you're talking about yeah. when you say that. Yeah, Refer to so it at times as that te- imposter syndrome. Mm. Yes, yes. So having a technique that you can draw on that gives you adaptive self-talk. So going, okay, like I'm feeling like I'm failing at this, but you know what? The most important thing is that I'm having a go. And I saw, Mel, I saw you do that with Trish when we were just starting. You were like, you know what? We're just giving it a go. We're giving it a crack. Like that's adaptive self-talk. That's that sort of. And that helps you sort of normalise that feeling of like, oh, I'm feeling a bit uncertain, I'm feeling a bit unsure. And instead of then tapping out and going, well, if I'm feeling unsure, then no, I'm not going to do it. It's more that learning to be mindful, learning to have those positive statements and knowing that as we break, as we try things that are new to us or we're really striving, we're going to feel uncomfortable. That's just a part of the whole journey. Oh, Nina, it's, and it that's can, such an amazing point that you've just raised. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but when I was about to start my university degree, I did a tertiary preparation pathway because, it, of course, it had been a very long time since I'd been in a classroom <laughs> of any description. Considerable for yeah, considerable amount of time. And I met women in that, so it's not part of your degree, it's just getting you ready and prepped and understanding what blackboard is. And I'm thinking, isn't that a freaking big green thing that's stuck up on the wall? That's what my mind went to. Still think that. No, it's not. It's an online learning platform. But I didn't know any of this stuff, right? I walk in raw, didn't know it. And I met women similar age. I was in my 40s at the time. And they just were beating themselves up the whole time about that it was. They just didn't have the confidence, you know, and I was trying to help them saying, yes, you can, you can do this. And they either dropped out during TPP or they finished it and then they didn't enrol. They didn't go on, which is such a shame, I think. It, it was so – I was disappointed for them to see their journey end there when yeah. potentially they could have gone on and and got their degree and who knows where it would have led them. They needed yeah. to see you, Nene. Yeah. See you in your life. Where have you been? <laughs> I think everyone needs Nina in their lives. Yes. All women need a Nina. Yeah. Can you clone and yourself? I because, <laughs> and I think, I think because as women we are more attuned to those emotions and we're more attuned to those feelings, which is our gift, 
That is what we need to bring into workplaces. That's why we need to be in a lot of places because we are great with those emotional sort of connections. But, yeah, we do tend to sort of overstate them and go, oh, okay, I need to believe that. Whereas, no, we need we need those four we need those four techniques. We need to be able to really notice what we're doing well. We need to follow our mentors and have a look for people out there and go, if they can do it, I can do it. We need that squad around us to go, verbal persuasion, you can do it. And we need to be able to say, you know, it's going to feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to have techniques to help me settle into it and keep on moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. So for the four steps, I've written it down. I don't know if you're noticing on this. No, I was Zoom taking problem. notes. I'm- we quite often do that. We get so fascinated in our guests, we forget that we're actually interviewing them. So we're just listening to them talk. And then we also start to take notes like we're in a lecture or a, we're so intrigued. I can't help myself. I you know love when I'm really notes. interested because I just, you don't hear me. Yes, I know. We've been very quiet, yeah, actually. It's because we're very interested. I know. Okay. So, um, Nina, I think you've just answered the next question I had, which is what is the common thread that binds the midlife women that come and see you? I'll let you answer it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to give you what I thought your answer would be, but that's not the purpose of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> now we're trying to extract information from me. Nobody wants to know what I think about everything. <laughs> I'm always interested in what you think. Yeah, well. Okay, take it away, Nina. <laughs> What's the common thread that binds midlife women? What do you see? That's a really good question. And there are, there are a few, to be honest, with the people and the clients I work with. Some of them have to go back and earn a living. They've, they've come across circumstances in their life where they might have gone through a separation, they might have lost a partner, and they have to do it for survival. As we know, women get paid less than men. We don't tend to have great super funds because we do take time out of the workplace raise children so we are at a bit of a disadvantage there so some of them come to me midlife because circumstances have arised where it's like I need to earn a living and I need to do it others are a bit like me I think when I was at home with kids which I absolutely loved but I still felt that there was just that piece missing that I still wanted to be contributing I still wanted to be learning I still felt that I had stuff that I could offer outside of home but I just didn't know what it was and I just couldn't, you know, and I was trying to work that out. And I think that going back to our earlier comment that it, this is not about all women having to go out and be, what's her name, Cheryl Sandberg? Is that her name, the lean-in? What's her name, the lean-in lady? Mm. Um, I don't know. You weren't for me. The lean-in lady. I like I'm that. all about Brene Brown, but I, <laughs> yes. I need to find out this next one. <laughs> New female icon for me. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And her book, Lean In, was all about I have to be on the, you know, chief executive office. You know, I need to be the manager. I don't, I'm not necessarily all about that. I think if you want to, absolutely go for it. But I think most women just want to feel that they're still contributing and still doing something that's interesting to them and having some purpose. purpose. I think, and they're all really good goals to have. And so those are the two sort of, I think that if that's a common thread, yeah. Okay. Nina, would you be able to share any midlife transition success stories that you've helped facilitate or witness that might inspire or motivate someone to take action, someone that's listening today? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and I, I know Trish, you sort of asked me this too in our, in our phone conversation before we met, and 
I still am sitting here going, oh, my gosh, how, how could I pick one? Um, there's just been so many stories and people have, who have worked with me who have gone back to university and transitioned that way. So people who have come from, for an example, a banking background, but that was just not fulfilling anymore. So came to university, studied again, did an arts degree, learned that you know librarianship was something that she'd always dreamt of and what she wanted to do. So she used that time to restructure her whole career and is now gone on to be a librarian. Women from hospitality backgrounds that are now working in commerce. So I'm so sorry I haven't got one sort of specific story because I've just got all of these wonderful people in my head that I'm like, I just don't know how I can choose. But that's brilliant in itself that Um, there's so many that you can't choose from. So that is And we forgive you. We forgive you for not... (laughs) For not being able to come up with one But we congratulate you for helping all of those women. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us then, because that was a difficult question, sorry, to put you on the spot there, but what advice would you give to someone listening who feels that they would like a change but they really don't know where to start? Come and see you. Yeah, (laughs) apart from, because I am, I'm going to see (laughs) Mel and I are booking in. We're booking in. Well, I am really fortunate to be part of the career development community. So I think that's the really interesting thing. I think most people, I often get this reaction of people who say to me, oh, my God, like, is that a profession? Do people actually do that? Mm. Um, You know, and I do it across across people for their whole lifespan. So I do it for kids leaving school. I do it for middle-aged women. I do it, you know, across all ages. And a lot of people say to me, I didn't even know that these sort of services existed. So we are a well-hidden bunch of people, but we are an amazing bunch of people. I'm very fortunate to be part of a professional association that just love this type of work. So that is the Career Development Association of Australia, and you can jump on their website. Lots of free resources. You can find counsellors that will suit you. But that's a shameless plug for my profession. Oh, no, I'm happy for that. <laughs> um, and then we'll, we'll also make sure that with the show notes and on our social media that we let everyone know your website details, Instagram, et cetera, so they all know <laughs> where to find you. And one question that um, has been in the media a bit lately with COVID and lockdown. There's been talk of the big quit or the great resignation, a a trend prediction that they're suggesting that the few years that we've just gone through with lockdowns, et cetera, people have really begun to rethink how they want to work and how they want to live. What's your feeling? Are you seeing that happen already or do you think it will be a thing? Chris, this is an amazing question. Your research is incredible because you're exactly a very right. clever lady. All over. <laughs> She's so you clever. Are, you are. She's so clever. You are. It's crazy. I listen to a few podcasts, <laughs> <laughs> including our own. And <laughs> highly informative. <laughs> there is a really big um, there is a really big debate in Australia at the moment around this exact topic, and I've seen two sides of the story. People saying no, it's not going to happen in Australia people saying it is. We definitely can see signs in America that it's happening. But I think the underpinning of it all is exactly what you say. People starting to think, okay, I've had this time away from work. My work life has changed. I may be working at home now. What am I willing to rush back into? You know, I was almost on autopilot. Now we've had a circuit breaker and it's given me time to think and reflect. I've been around my family more or I've been at home more. I'm really enjoying it. 
there is definitely a seismic shift when it comes to the way we are going to work in the future, absolutely. So I think one of the key drivers for a successful career is a values match. And I think that is what is underpinning a lot of this great resignation. So maybe my values have shifted. I now value work-life balance a lot more. Money is not as important to me or it has become more important. Um, my family's become more important or less important, whatever it might be. I've had um, enough of them. No, I'm kidding. Think- I love them. <laughs> <laughs> what job is going to get me further we away know. from my husband? No, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> love you, Goro. He kept working. <laughs> so we're good. <laughs> but I think the values mismatch is what's happening and people thinking, what values do I want met by my work? We can't you know, pull up into the car park at work and leave our values in the car. We need to go into work and embrace them. So sitting down and, and going back, I think, to the earlier question of if, if you were charting a course for change, where would you start? I would even just jump online and do a values assessment and think, well, what am I really valuing at the moment? What's my value in the career? Obviously, for me, my career driver and my value is helping others, but I that helping others looks a lot different to a nurse helping others or a doctor helping others. Or Mel and I helping Me others. Helping others. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I mean, both of you with your motivation to do what you do, I can see such a strong value system with, you know, wanting to help women in this time of their life have a really positive and grounded and great experience and, you know, acknowledge how great they are. Oh, thanks, so, me. And I also went, about. okay, what are we good at? Talking. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, about, <laughs> it's about it. That's an That's absolute streak. <laughs> <laughs> it's, my, it's my top two. What's the other one? What's dancing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing, having fun. Cartwheels. <laughs> oh, they're getting a bit dodgy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nene's seen a few of those, haven't you? I have. Oh, she's a natural. Oh, she's a I natural. think one Easter... <laughs> I gave the kids, and this is after a few refreshing beverages, and the kids were quite young. We had a cartwheel contest to how many you could do in a row. Oh. <laughs> I think I ended up in a heap. If I do them now, I see stars. Mm. You know, you come up and you get all that yeah, vertigo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bad. So, so bad. Yeah. Nina, we have got one last question for you, which Mind is you, really we could sad. talk all day. Yeah, because I could sit here for hours, but um, we ask all our guests this, and that is what advice would the nearly 50-ish Nina give to the Nina in her 20s? Ah, great question. Um, I think my biggest piece of advice is you don't have to have it all worked out now. I think in my early 20s, I thought that I should have it all planned. It should just be, you know, this is the plan that I've got. But we know that, especially talking about career development, the opportunity of chance events, of just being in the right place at the right time, meeting a person, having a conversation, that changes the course of your life. And being more open to that sort of serendipity or, you know, chance events and and where life might lead you, I would tell myself, looking back, to be open to that and know that you don't have to have it all sorted out. So we Great life advice moving forward. That is great. The 50-ish Nina could give that advice to the 80-ish Nina. Yeah, that is a ripper. I, I love, love that, that word, yeah. serendipity. serendipity. Gave me goosebumps. So good. So glad I could pronounce it. Yeah. I've thought about it. I mean, am I going to go there? I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Come a long way. 
Nina, thank you so much for your time. It has just been brilliant. And um, I'm sad that this has come to an end. I, I feel like we need to get Nina back. We are going to Because I back. feel, once again, like we're just scratching the surface and there is um, a lot that we could deep dive in on, this, could uh, deep on dive. this topic. And I think that we're going to have to get Nina back. I don't know <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, you're on fire. I think that... <laughs> I've lost I've my train of thought. What I was going to say, everybody. We love you is what we were going to say. Okay. And thank you so much for sharing all of that wisdom. I think that any lady or men or men listening is going to get a lot from your yeah, that was, advice. That was brilliant. Awesome. Thanks, Nina. Remember, 50-ish tribe, life is for living. It's time to be kind and look after yourselves, to do whatever you want and don't give a 50 because we are all awesome regardless of age and living is an absolute privilege. Thank you, gorgeous Nina. Thanks, Nina. Thank you. We didn't even get booted off Zoom. That's nice. It's funny because I don't feel like we're doing anything amazing. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.